Alright, welcome back. Again, it's great to have you join us for our Sunday gathering as we focus on the Sunday Advent of Love. Now, I don't know if I mentioned this, but I like to record outside. Uh, I like to do this live stream outdoors because I imagine a lot of you might be on Zoom calls or maybe doing classes from indoors and you're always talking to people who are indoors. So. Uh, I like to come outside to show you maybe some greenery, maybe a little bit of blue skies and some clouds um, because I think maybe psychologically that helps you feel like less trapped, <laughs> less quarantined, so to speak. So yeah, that's why I typically like to do these uh, Sunday live streams outdoors. Now we are currently in our Advent series and traditionally the second Sunday of Advent is the Sunday of Love. And this season has taught us all how much we truly, truly need each other. Loving relationships, uh, real human connection, and most of all, authentic community. And so it's wonderful to still be able to practice our faith in authentic community online, virtually, even though we can't physically all be together uh, during the season. And I was especially reminded of this when I read this unfortunate news about a really well-known pastor who kind of had a fall from grace recently. And I don't know if you've read about this. Um, this pastor's name is Carl Lentz, and he is the founding and lead pastor, or was the founding and lead pastor of Hillsong Church in New York City. Now, if you don't know what Hillsong Church is, it's a church that started out in Australia, and now it's kind of like all over the world. They have campuses literally on um, six continents all over the world. And the New York City one was led by Pastor Carl Lentz and Joel Houston, who is a worship leader. He's a musician and he's also the son of the pastor who started all the Hillsong churches, um, uh, Pastor Houston. So Carl Lentz, um, it's, it's really interesting when this story broke out that he stepped down or was let go from his position, his role as the lead pastor of this church in New York City, of Hillsong, New York City, because uh, he had uh, an affair. He admitted and confessed to having an extramarital affair. And it's really interesting how this news broke out all over the Internet because he is a relatively conservative evangelical pastor leading this really dynamic, culturally relevant, and really hip church in New York City. But also Carl Lentz himself has kind of made himself into a spectacle or a brand because he is really, really good looking. He's tall, he's really cut, and he's very, very hip, okay? He's very, very fashionable. Now, the first time I heard about this guy, Carl Lentz, I was surprised because of how uh, cool <laughs> he looked, but also the clothes that he wore were really, really interesting. And um, to be honest with you, like the first impression that I had of him was not great because uh, he wore these like really, really um, deep V-neck t-shirts that would show so much of his like chiseled chest and like maybe like the top of his abs. And he would wear these like really, really expensive leather jackets and like expensive sneakers and um you know he was like super good looking and but uh and so you know maybe a, 
part of the reason why he didn't make the best first impression on me is because I might have been a little jealous. You know, I was like, oh, man, I want abs like that. I want a chiseled chest like that. But the other reason why he um, kind of became well-known is because he was, quote-unquote, uh, Justin Bieber's pastor. And so he quickly became infamous as being Justin Bieber's pastor and spending all this time with celebrities like Justin Bieber or Kevin Durant or like sitting at the front row of these like NBA games and he quickly got the label of being a celebrity pastor but the more accurate label for him would be celebrity megachurch pastor now I have to I have to unpack this a little bit okay because it's very very um odd Okay, it's very, very odd. Celebrity megachurch pastor. Okay, celebrity, obviously, you know what that means, right? It's someone who's famous. Typically, someone who's famous for uh, not a really uh, respectable or honorable means sometimes, okay? Anyways, but, you know, that's like the first label that he has uh, given to him. And then he's the he's a pastor of a mega church, all right. Like Hillsong, New York, is huge. There are lines that wrap around the block to go to church, which is really really fascinating, right? But also he is a pastor because he's the lead pastor of this huge church. He is kind of seen as a guru, and he has been on interviews with like people like Oprah and like Good Morning America, and he has been all over like tons of podcasts and whatnot. And so uh, he kind of became infamous for being the celebrity megachurch pastor. And a part of me empathizes with his fall from grace because it's really, really easy for pastors to forget the main purpose of the church, which is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love our neighbors as ourselves Okay, this is what's known as the great commandment found in Matthew 22 and in the other um, Gospels as well. And this is the reason why the vision statement for our church is to love Jesus and love like Jesus. And we do, it, and we do this through our four core values, which are biblical, relational, open-minded, and service-oriented. And the reason why I say this every single week is because it's actually easy to forget, okay? It's actually easy to forget that this really is the main purpose of why we as followers of Christ exist. And especially if someone like Carl Lentz, who uh, became a celebrity, um, and so he, he got the fame, right? And he's uh, leading this mega church, right? So he has the power or the influence. And he's also a pastor because everyone is looking for someone to tell them the answers, right? To really, really be able to make that distinction between black and white, right? And pastors are like these gurus who are supposed to have all the answers. And maybe that's why <laughs> I'm not quite as popular as Carl Lentz because I refuse to do that a lot. And um, I'm actually quite comfortable living in and being in these gray areas and not really giving too many cut and dry answers um, because the older I get I just find that um, that's kind of like spirituality these days is actually more about 
having questions and asking the right questions and having all the right answers. And so uh, people are drawn to that, okay? And there are, they are drawn to these like spiritual gurus who have all the answers. But ultimately, the ultimate purpose of the church is to love, okay? Love God and love our neighbors. And this is why this word and this theme of love is reiterated so many times in the Bible, okay? Uh, love is the second most commonly mentioned theme in all of scripture. The only theme that uh, is mentioned more than that is money because of the dangers of money. And money is mentioned over 800 times in the Bible, uh, believe it or not. And love is uh, second to that, which is mentioned more than 500 times in the Bible because love is the ultimate reason why we exist. And this is the reason why Jesus ultimately came to earth. Jesus Christ is love embodied. Jesus Christ is love embodied. And this is our central truth for today. Jesus Christ is love embodied. Now, when I was in seminary, when I was in graduate school for uh, people who wanted to become pastors, there was this really big fancy word that we had to learn called incarnation. Okay. Uh, and this is what God did when he came as a form in the form of a human being in the person of Jesus Christ. Incarnation, which literally means to be made into flesh, to come into flesh, right? And this is what Jesus embodied, right? And Jesus is God embodied. But ultimately, uh, the Bible also teaches us that God is love. God is love. And so if Jesus Christ is God embodied, then Jesus Christ is love embodied. And this is what John 3, 16 through 21 is all about. Now, John's gospel is very different from the other gospels, okay? Uh, there are four gospels in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, but John's gospel is so different from the other three gospels that Matthew, Mark, and Luke are grouped together and they are called the synoptic gospels. Their, their, their kind of story and historical accounts are parallel. But John, he kind of does his own thing, okay? And this is very evident in the beginning of John's gospel because while Matthew and Luke follow the traditional birth account narrative uh, of Jesus Christ's birth, John's gospel is very different because uh, it doesn't begin with uh, his physical birth, it kind of talks about, it makes a theological statement of what Jesus' birth means to humankind, okay? And the very first verse of John chapter 1 begins by saying, in the beginning was the Word. In the beginning was the Word. And Jesus' birth brought light into the universe, okay? Jesus' birth brought light into the universe. And so, uh, John, being uh, an apostle of Jesus Christ, but also being from a Jewish background, those first words of his gospel were very, very deliberate. In the beginning. In the beginning. Okay, and this is very much parallel with the book of Genesis. Okay, and in the first three words of Genesis is in the beginning. Right? And there are really two themes in today's passage that we're going to be focusing on today which is love and light. In John chapter 3, verses 16 through 21, it really focuses on these two themes of love 
and light. Let me read for us um, verse 19 of today's passage. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. So John 3, 16 through 21, it's almost like a continuation of John chapter 1, where he talks about Jesus entering into the world and being the light of the world. Now, this idea of Jesus being the light into the world, okay, it actually brings, uh, brings uh, it shows us three things that Jesus' love does for us as Jesus came into the world, as God loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. This very, very famous verse that is probably one of the most memorized verses uh, in the world, all right, in all of scripture. But if you continue on and read the rest of this section uh, through 21, it actually breaks it down brilliantly okay and it actually shows us what Jesus's love means for us and what Jesus's love means for the world and the first thing that it's really making a statement about is this Jesus's love is the only thing that can save the world Jesus's love is the only thing that can save the world I know a lot of people out there like to believe that maybe we can save the world without the help of God or religion, but that's actually not true, okay? If we leave humanity to their own devices, uh, ultimately we will meet our demise, all right? And this is kind of uh, what we saw with um, Pastor Carl Lentz. Uh, and, and, you know, when uh, the story broke out of him, like, you know, uh, having that affair and stepping down from ministry. Um, it was really, really disgusting how uh, many news articles um, portrayed him. And it was almost like, they were almost like the media, they're kind of like vultures and they love to um, pick apart someone who kind of fall, fell from grace, right? And it's really, really unfortunate. But actually, I, I think New York Times did a good objective article on um, this issue and I'll, I'll show but ultimately it just reminded us that Jesus's love is the only thing that can save the world and when we think about the church and I, I think a lot of people don't like to give the church enough credit because of some of the horrible things that church has done which is true okay the church has done some uh, things that were very very abhorrent but we can't let that overshadow the numerable ways that the church has made this world a better place. Let me just give you a couple quick examples. Public schools, for example, is an example of how uh, the church made the world into a better place. The first public school in the United States was started in 1635 in Boston, and it was started by Puritans. Uh, really, the first, re the main reason why they wanted to start this school was because they wanted to teach children how to speak and read latin <laughs> so that they could better interpret scripture but ultimately uh, they you know taught them things like math and history and uh english and all of that good stuff right so look it up um the first 
public school in America was started by a group of Puritans. And then shortly after, the earliest colleges and universities in America, they all began as divinity schools or Bible schools. And I'm going to show here um, some of I the Ivy League's original seals for their schools, okay? Um, Harvard's original seal, as you can see here, it says veritas in the middle, which uh, means truth in Latin, but the words next to it say for church, for Christ and church. Now the newer seal kind of removed the Christ and church part, but the original seal, the original intent of uh, Harvard seal said truth for Christ and church. Here you can see Yale's original seal, which says light and truth. Princeton, as you can see in the book, okay, the book is actually supposed to be the Bible. It says Old and New Testament, also in Latin. And those words around it, um, it's, uh, or underneath it, it says, under God, she flourishes. For Columbia University, it says, in your light, we see light. And, Psalm, and, and that is based on Psalm 36, verse 9. In 1 Peter chapter 2, uh, verses 1 and 2, that seems to be their uh, theme verses, uh, which is kind of written there below. And lastly, I mean, there, I could show you a lot more, but I'm just showing you uh, a few examples. Brown University, uh, their theme, um, I don't know if it's their theme anymore, but it used to be in, in God We Hope, and that's written there also in Latin. And so while there are many things that the church has done that are abhorrent, we can't let those things like overshadow the num number of ways that the church has made this world a better place. And now if we see those areas like public schools or um, universities or hospitals becoming less and less quote-unquote religious, right, and becoming more secularized, we see that ultimately greed uh, takes over and the main purpose of why those things exist is to make money, which is very, very unfortunate. Instead of the original intent was, was to educate or to uh, serve those who are sick or in need as a ministry of the church. The other thing that this passage shows us about Jesus's love is this, is that Jesus's love shows us the way. Jesus's love shows us the way. And this kind of goes back to the story of creation. As John, Apostle John, who wrote this gospel, all right, uh, as he is making this parallel between the arrival of Jesus into the world with the creation of the world in Genesis 1, we see uh, a couple themes that are aligned with each other, such as light and darkness. In Genesis chapter 1, in the creation account, now whether or not you take that story literally, that's for another conversation, but in the beginning, uh, the earth, it says, Scripture tells us that the earth was formless and void. Okay, the earth was formless and void, meaning that uh, there was no life in it. Okay, that's what the void means. And formless means it was kind of like this big mess. All right. And it was kind of like this uh, amorphous, um, weird, uh, shapeless 
lump of dirt and gas and liquid and right so it was kind of formless okay and then day one was uh the creation of light this is when god created light right and god separated light from darkness and then after that uh, in day two god created the waters and separated the seas from the skies and day three was uh plants and vegetation and so on and so forth so the very first thing that had to be in the world before anything else was created was light because you can't create anything without light you can't see anything without light and so light is required in order to create but light is also required in order to show us the path if jesus is that light of the world okay if jesus is that light of the world he is showing us the way how to live okay and he is the ultimate example of a perfect life okay what it means to live a perfect life remember the central truth for today is jesus christ is love embodied and in order to live a perfect life you have to embody love jesus's love shows us the way and the reason why god sent jesus here to earth is because god himself is love and because god is love he communicates with us he connects with us and he cares for us because god is love he communicates with us he connects with us and he cares for us and the best example that he is showing us his love is through giving us jesus christ it is not in god's nature to create the world create the universe and just like leave us alone because God is love. Okay, and I know that there are many people out there who might be agnostic or maybe even deists who believe this, but this is antithetical to our Christian faith because if we do believe that God is love, we have to believe that he communicates with us, he connects with us, and he cares for us. And the best example of this is through the person of Jesus Christ. And if Jesus is the guiding light in our lives, if he is showing us the way, then we will be compelled by this, right? And, and we will be led to follow in the way that he is leading us. Let me give you an example, okay? Um, last year, uh, my wife and I got my daughter this book, okay? 100 Extraordinary Stories for Courageous Girls. And I thought maybe... Um, it was a good way to show my daughter some like wonderful example of like godly strong women who changed the world and there are some like biblical characters in here um like lydia okay lydia is awesome and she is a wealthy businesswoman merchant uh who kind of paved the way for the early church especially in philippi in the city of philippi but there are other wonderful examples of uh, historical women who are in here who are not in the Bible. Um, people like Jane Austen. I don't know if you knew this, but Jane Austen is a really, really devout Christian. And uh, even though she doesn't explicitly mention God in her books, there are a lot of like biblical themes and uh, Christian themes in her books. Um, but Florence Nightingale, she is amazing, right? She kind of totally changed and transformed, revolutionized 
hospitals, right? Because she was like disgusted by how filthy hospitals were. So she created really like the current system and uh, departments and different like, especially she transformed like sanitary conditions of hospitals. And there's also amazing women like Sojourner Truth, who was born a slave, but ultimately became uh, an amazing civil rights leader. And um, probably most famous for her faith is um, Harriet Tubman, who was also born a slave and ultimately freed hundreds of other slaves through um, the Underground Railroad. And so she, um, yeah, there's just, all these women are great examples of how Jesus himself showed them the way. And because they are compelled by this, uh, they were transformed, right? And they were led in the way of Jesus. And this leads us to the last thing that this passage teaches us about Jesus' love is that Jesus' love transforms us. Jesus' love transforms us. The last verse of today's passage, uh, verse 21, says this, Whoever lives by the truth comes into the light, so that it may be seen plainly that what God has done has been done through God. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light, so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. When we experience and encounter and believe and have faith in the love of Jesus Christ, it transforms us. And verse 21 likens it to someone who is living in the light. In other passages throughout Scripture, uh, it describes this in different ways. In 1 John chapter 4, which was also written by Apostle John, uh, it says, uh, we love because he first loved us. We love because he first loved us. And it's not simply, you notice that verse doesn't say uh, we love God because he first loved us. It's actually saying we love always. Okay, We are people who are marked by love. We are transformed by God's love because God first loved us. Uh, later in John's Gospel, in John chapter 13, Jesus said this, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Now, this command that Jesus gives, okay, it's actually not new. Uh, it's actually mentioned in the Old Testament many times that we should love God and love our neighbors. But it has been lost along the way. Uh, by the Israelites in the Old Testament because they were focusing more on laws, okay, and, and doing right and wrong, right? And that's what the extent of their faith uh, became, is just following a set of rules, right? And ultimately, Jesus was bringing it back to the original intent of why God has a relationship with humankind. It's because uh, we are to love God and to love our neighbors. It's really that simple. And it ultimately comes back to the great commandment, which is to love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love our neighbors. And we have turned it into uh, a list of do's and don'ts, and right and wrongs, and that has ultimately what religion has become, which is very, very unfortunate. 
And if we need a good reminder of what love is and what love looks like, all we need to do is to look at Scripture. And again, uh, there are over 500 passages that either talk about love directly or indirectly, right? 500. So that's a lot, right? And But let me just read for us a couple for today, okay? And we'll close with this. Ephesians 5 uh, chapter uh, Ephesians chapter 5 verses 1 and 2 says this be imitators of God therefore as dearly loved children and live a life of love live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as an offering and sacrifice to God this is why Jesus came for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life, is ultimately so that we can live a life of love, loving God and loving others. This is what eternal life is, is to live a life of love. It is not simply to uh, live that lush, comfortable life in heaven, although that is part of it, but ultimately, the core of it, the core of it is love. That is what the core of eternal life means. And lastly, the most famous chapter on love probably is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And this is uh, a chapter that is uh, mentioned and quoted a lot in weddings because um, people like to use it for... Uh, sharing, expressing love for your significant other. But ultimately, this was meant to be shared with your neighbors, with your loved ones, with other people. And it says this, And now I will show you the most excellent way. If I speak in tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Love never fails. So in closing, I want to leave you with this challenge of the week. Love one or two people this week the way that Jesus has loved you. Love one or two people this week the way that Jesus has loved you. Have a wonderful, blessed week. And we will see you next time.